Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. So today we've got a great show. We have Dr. William Davis. He's the author of Wheat Belly, and he has a new book out called Super Gut. And I just love him so much. He has such a great energy. He's so knowledgeable and he's just very, you know, excited about, you know, educating people about their health. And uh, he's helped millions of people uh, with his work. And today we're going to be talking about uh, his book, Super Gut, and how restoring lost microbes can transform your health. And we'll talk about what has damaged our gut microbiome, um, what we can do to restore it in very simple ways, a very simple yogurt recipe that you can use to restore your gut. And, and what exactly is going on? We talk about SIBO, small intestinal bowel overgrowth, and why so many people have this, up to 50% of Americans have this and why a lot of the things that conventional medical doctors are doing just aren't working to restore your gut, restore gut function. You get on medications that really don't work very well. Um, so uh, it's really about you know, getting rid of uh, gut bugs where they're not supposed to be. And we talk about all the different ways to diagnose SIBO and what to do to correct your gut function. So I know you guys listening to this show, you're concerned about toxins. You're concerned about your body burden of toxins. And so I created a really simple quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com that you can take. And after that, you get your results, whether you have a low, medium, or high body burden of toxins based on some lifestyle questions. And then after that, you also get a free video series that answers a lot of your burning questions about detox, how to go about it, where to start, et cetera. And so really really good video series that I created for you guys. So go check that out at heavymetalsquiz.com. So Dr. William Davis is a cardiologist and a New York Times number one best-selling author of his book, Wheat Belly. And he's also the author of the new book, Supergut. He is the medical director and founder of the Undoctored Program, including the Undoctored Inner Circle. And he's the chief medical officer and co-founder of Realized Therapeutics Corporation that is developing innovative solutions for the disrupted human microbiome. You can learn more about Dr. Davis at drdavisinfinitehealth.com. Dr. William Davis, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for the invitation. Yes. So you talk a lot about the human microbiome. And so uh, so what's going on uh, with the human microbiome and, and, and it, how it's contributing to people's health? You know, Wendy, for the longest time, I think most of us in conventional healthcare regard the gastrointestinal microbiome, that is the trillions of creatures living in our gastrointestinal tracts as nothing more than a curiosity, a nuisance, this thing responsible for a couple of weeks of diarrhea after taking a course of antibiotics. And of course, you tell your doctor, I've got diarrhea. He says, well, you'll live through it. You'll get through it, right? And uh, that is the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, that course of antibiotics was devastating. It's like dropping an atom bomb and thinking that the world will recover afterwards. It does not. And so that and combined with numerous other modern factors uh, that are common in modern life, like glyphosate, the herbicide, that is the active ingredient in Roundup, is not just an herbicide, it's also an antibiotic. Preservatives in food to keep, say, mold from growing in your food, but also have antimicrobial properties in you when you ingest it. Emulsifying agents like polysorbate 80 and ice cream massively just distort your microbiome. 
the list is long, Wendy, and other drugs, stomach acid blocking drugs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, statin cholesterol drugs, birth control pills, chlorinated drinking water, on and on and on. So as a society, we have dramatically disrupted the, the composition of species in the GI tract. But the thing that really is leading to uh, actually having this whole thing come to a head is when you lose hundreds of healthy species, unhealthy species proliferate. But to my great surprise, because I, I was very skeptical about this until a few years ago, when you lose those healthy species that were suppressing unhealthy species, the unhealthy species proliferate, but then they do something extraordinary. They climb up the 24 feet of small intestine. And so you end up with a total of 30 feet, 24 feet small intestine, four to five feet of bowel, of large of colon, 30 feet of trillions of microbes. Now the small bowel, the small intestine is not equipped to handle this. The colon is, the colon has a thick two-layer mucus barrier. The small intestine has a thin single-layer mucus barrier. So when you get fecal microbes like e-, e. coli, salmonella, campylobacter, and these names are often familiar to people because they're also the, the species of food poisoning. So when these fecal slash food poisoning species get into the small intestine, it, you know they, they only live for a few hours. So rapid turnover. And when they die, they release some of their components, but specifically one called endotoxin. And endotoxin thereby penetrates that thin single layer mucus barrier in the small intestine and gets into your bloodstream. And that very important finding finally validated in 2007 by a European group and since corroborated numerous times, that process of endotoxemia, endotoxin in the bloodstream, now makes it crystal clear how the microbiome in the GI tract can raise blood sugar and cause diabetes, can contribute to obesity and failure to lose weight or to skin conditions like rosacea or psoriasis, or to brain conditions like de- depression, cognitive impairment, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, to muscle and joint problems like fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis. In other words, uh, virtually all human disease has to be reconsidered in light of a contribution of the GI microbiome via endotoxemia. And this is very common. Yeah, what's interesting, I've been reading different things about how you know, different, uh, you know, bacteria that are in our gut can leave and populate our joints, populate different organs. And then our, our immune system will go and try to attack those. And then the, the organs kind of getting the fallout, uh, from the, like our joints and the rheumatoid arthritis can be caused by a bacteria that the body's just trying to attack and causes all this inflammation in the joints, et cetera. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's even a newer collection of findings that's emerged over the last few years. The whole issue of so-called translocation, where bacteria can exit some original spot, let's say the colon, and then find access in the mouth, in the thyroid, in the skin, in the brain. So one uh, very good example is this microbe called Fusobacterium, Fusobacterium nucleatum. It's in the mouth. People normally have it, and it just minds its own business. But if you have conditions like gingivitis, bleeding gums, periodontitis, fusobacterium proliferates, and interestingly, it gets into the bloodstream and then colonizes the colon. You would think, logically, right? Fusobacterium in the mouth is swallowed and thereby colonize the colon. But no, it gets to the bloodstream. This, this has been done with good science. And then colonize the colon where it causes colon cancer. 
the evidence is very good. In other words, so maybe not all, but many cases of colon cancer are initiated by the oral microbiome. So this, you can imagine, Wendy, this is turning a lot of thinking about disease topsy-turvy. In other words, so what do gastroenterologists do to for colon cancer? They tell you eat fiber, meaning bran fiber, which is, by the way, wrong. That's a misinterpretation. And two, schedule you for a colonoscopy. That's how they make money. And if they see polyps or precancerous lesions, they take they try to take them out. That's not colon cancer prevention. That's early detection. What if we were to say colon cancer prevention begins with attention to the oral microbiome? Wouldn't that be a whole new leap ahead in insight and effectiveness not having colon cancer? That's just one episode of translocation. That's bad translocation. But there's also good translocation. One of my favorite examples is, you know, a third of the female population in the world this is not talked about much, but it's a very important issue because it has implications for such things as miscarriage, uh, premature deli delivery. So a third of the world's female population has vaginal dysbiosis, disruption of the microbiome of the vagina. Typically, the vaginal microbiome is much more predictable and contained compared to the much larger gastrointestinal microbiome. And the vaginal microbiome is meant to be dominated by a species, Lactobacillus crispatus, and meant to not have unhealthy species. Don't you love these names? Adipobium, Gardnerella vaginalis, and fecal microbes. Well, a third of the world's female population has the opposite. Unhealthy microbes dominating unhealthy microbes, lacking or completely absent. And that encourages miscarriage, Premature delivery. As you know, if you deliver a child, say, at 31 weeks, that child's life is changed forever, for a lifetime. It has impaired neurological maturation, psychological maturation, immunological maturation. So having a so anything we can do to stop that, and one of the things that leads to premature labor is vaginal dysbiosis, presumptively because when you have inflammation of the cervix, the, uh, the, the vagina cervix, it causes the cervix to relax prematurely, and you can deliver a child early. Well, if a woman has vaginal dysbiosis and she takes lactobacillus crispatus as an oral probiotic, it will populate her vagina. Now, how? There's no connection between the gastrointestinal tract and the vagina. There's contiguity, nearness, in the perineum, the, the groin area. They're near each other, but there's no actual connection. And even more remarkably, and this is uh, evidence from Loyola in Chicago, a woman takes crispatus orally, it populates the vagina, then it populates the bladder, the urinary bladder, where, you know, as women age, they have more and more problems with urinary complaints. They cough or laugh and they pee, right? Origin continence, or they have repeated urinary tract infections, a major problem for ladies. Well, get crispatus orally, it colonized the bladder, and uh, so far the evidence tells us that it, re it reduces repeated urinary tract infections by about 50%. So not 100%, but 50% is a big dent, right? And that's another example Wendy, of translocation in a good way. So there's all kinds of variations on this, that, but it's become clear we are walking microbe factories. We've got microbes just about everywhere, good ones 
getting where they don't belong, good ones where they do belong, bad ones <laughs> translocating to other places. It's really this community of microbes in constant flux. And so can you talk about like go through those steps of how someone develops leaky gut and what is happening when people eat uh, food? Do they get these large undigested proteins that leak into the bloodstream and that whole problem there with food sensitivities and chemical sensitivity and things like that? Well, there's a number of ways to get there, but the two biggest ways is, you know, my old bugaboo is wheat and grain consumption. Uh, the gliadin protein of wheat and related proteins of other grains, cecalin of rye, hordine of barley, zein of corn, have the unique capacity to open up intestinal barriers. Not my speculation, good science out of places like uh, University of Maryland, Hopkins, and other places, uh, uh, Harvard. So consumption of foods that contain the gliadin protein, wheat and grains, opens up the intestinal barriers to both bacterial and food breakdown products. And as you point out, it fools your immune system because they respond to those foreign proteins, but they may resemble some human proteins. And if that foreign protein from a, from a microbe, for instance, looks like your thyroid, you're going to attack your thyroid, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Or if it looks like some of the tissue in the synovium of your joints, the lubricating uh, capsule of your joints, it's going to attack your joints. So wheat and grain elimination, despite being the darling of all dietary guidelines, is a major trigger for autoimmune for intestinal permeability and autoimmune disease and inflammation. Another way is when we what we talked about earlier, when you lose healthy microbes, you lose their suppressive effect on unhealthy microbes. When those unhealthy microbes get up to the small bowel in particular, uh, so they not only allow the endotoxin to penetrate into the bloodstream, but it also allows fecal microbes to actually directly contact intestinal cells, which is very inflammatory. You can get colitis or intestinal inflammation, and that also increases intestinal permeability. And so it, uh, now, by the way, consumption of wheat and grains and SIBO and the endotoxin is a lethal combination but it's exceptionally common. The sad thing is most of my colleagues have not caught up with the science. They're too busy talking to the sexy sales rep in a miniskirt and not reading the science, not recognizing that type two diabetes, Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's disease, cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, on and on and on, are diseases largely of, as you point out, in increased intestinal permeability. And the solution is not some biologic drug for $4,000 a month to block one step way down the pathway, but to actually get at the root cause, disruption of the microbial composition of your gastrointestinal tract and increased intestinal permeability. And when it's actually quite easy, it sounds complicated, it is a kind of redefinition of so many health phenomena. But if you get it, you have enormous control over your health future. Yeah, and I love that you've talked so much about this in, in your work. You have a book called Wheat Belly, which is a, a like international sensation. Uh, just it just uh, it just you've sold so many copies and it's helped so many people. Like my mom, I even introduced her to your work, and she stopped eating wheat finally, which I've been telling her for years. She was constantly clearing her throat every few minutes, and uh, it just stopped. 
it stopped mm. after she stopped eating weed and uh, she was having lots of like allergies and mucus and constantly clearing her throat. She couldn't even hold a conversation without constantly clearing it. And it just disappeared, just stopping the weed. Yeah. That's just, great, Winnie. Just a game changer for her. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's so easy to think she had some medical condition you know, uh, that, that was going undiagnosed, but it's not the case. And so it happens with someone like your mom is they say, Hey, you likely have acid reflux and acid reflux is causing acid in the back of your throat, making you cough. Let's put you on a stomach acid blocking drug. And that of course has its own huge collection of problems. So in other words, the conventional solutions are not solutions at all. And in fact, cause a whole domino effect of health problems, including SIBO, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about SIBO because SIBO, I think, there's a, it's a huge, huge problem. Goes largely undiagnosed, causes massive digestive issues. What is going on there? What is it? So that's a situation where you've lost healthy microbes and fecal microbes have proliferated, then ascended into the 24 feet of small intestine. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth when it, it's everywhere it is it, it is in my estimation the worst epidemic ever in the history of our species on this planet because that evidence is already out there so if for instance you looked at the there are studies like this in people with irritable bowel syndrome let's say what proportion have SIBO well that's been done we know that 60 to 70 million Americans have have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And while methods differ in some of the values, roughly 40% of people with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, have SIBO. Well, 40% of 60 to 70 million, that's what, about 24 million there already? How about people with fatty liver? Half the American population, shockingly, now has fatty liver on their way to cirrhosis at some point in their lives. Well, half the population is 160 million people. And with good evidence, we know that 50% test positive for SIBO. Add another 80 million people to the list. Add neurodegenerative disorders, autoimmune diseases, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, restless leg syndrome, on and on and on, fibromyalgia. And you easily, easily, now there's some overlap, obese type two diabetics with fatty liver, for instance, but there's, you can see, we're not talking about something that's rare or uncommon. We're talking about something that likely affects 50% of the U.S. population. You know, when I, I at first I, I, I thought, no way, no way, until this little thing came out, the air device. So you may know about this. You, you blow into it, it talks to your smartphone on a scale of zero to 10, registering how much hydrogen gas you're producing. Now, the way to use this properly is to use it after consumption of something that microbes consume to make hydrogen gas. So you can time how soon hydrogen gas is produced. Because if you took something like, let's say, inulin powder in your coffee, it takes a minimum of 90 minutes to get to the colon where production of hydrogen gas is normal. But if it happens, say, at 45 minutes, you know microbes living way up high. So this device has changed everything. It's showing us that SIBO is everywhere. Yeah, I agree. I think SIBO is a huge, 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 huge problem. Um, it's just so easy to develop this issue with our modern lifestyles and our diet and the antibiotics and the natural antibiotics even people are taking and just the constant ingestion of glyphosate. 
uh, that's in our diet as well. It's just destroying our microbiome and there's just the wrong bacteria in the wrong places. Um, so this device you have, uh, like what is it called and where do you get it? So it's called the AIR device, A-I-R-E. This is the original that only tests for hydrogen gas. There's a newer one that's black colored and it tests for hydrogen gas and methane. Methane is important for people who, are, who struggle with constipation. So if you don't have constipation, there's not a whole lot of reason to get the new one. The old one is just fine. You can get this on Amazon. You can get it from the, uh, the company's called foodmarble.com. And by the way, I have no relationship with the company. I do know the inventor, Dr. Angus Short. He's, he's a PhD engineer, and he didn't fully understand what it is he created some years ago. He thought it was a device for his fiance, then wife, who had irritable bowel syndrome and was told to go on a low FODMAPS diet, uh, low fiber, low sugar diet. And he saw her get tripped up with gas and bloating and diarrhea. So he invents this to detect hydrogen gas that results when you trip up and get some FODMAPs containing foods. Well, he releases it. I get a hold of it. I call him up. I said, Angus, that's not what this is. <laughs> so I'm telling the inventor what he invented. So I said, he's, he's a PhD engineer. He isn't, he's not a doctor, right, uh, of, of medicine. So I thought, no, this is a mapping device. It maps out where microbes are living in the ditch. Ah! So I tell everybody that because if you take the instructions as they are right now, when you buy it, they're, they're not complete. So I wrote out the instructions for this purpose in this my super gut book, my drdavisinfinitehealth.com book. Uh, it's not that tough, but it shows you how to use timing to figure out where microbes because you want to know are they living in your esophagus and stomach and duodenum or are they where they're supposed to be way 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 down in the colon and this will help decide now by the way wendy of course your listeners don't have to get that device or submit to formal hydrogen gas testing you can do that in a lab or clinic also there are signs that tell you yeah you've got SIBO the most common is uh, food intolerances all these people who say i can't eat nightshades I can't eat FODMAPs, I can't eat histamine-containing foods, I can't eat legumes, I can't eat fruit that contains fructose. You know, if, if our great-grandmothers were here, they would slap us and say, what's wrong with you people? There's no such thing in my time. What's wrong with you people? There's nothing wrong with the food. There's something wrong with our gastrointestinal microbiomes that causes food intolerances because you get rid of the placebo and the food intolerances go away almost always. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so let's talk a little bit about some solutions. So how do we fix our gut? How do we rebuild a, a broken microbiome? So if you've got food intolerances, or maybe you have some other telltale signs like fat malabsorption, you see what looks like fat or oil floating in the toilet, or your fecal matter always floats, or you have a condition virtually synonymous with SIBO, that is the likelihood of SIBO is so high, it's a safe assumption you have SIBO, irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome, neurodegenerative condition, an autoimmune condition, obesity, fatty liver, <laughs> type two diabetes. It's a safe assumption you've got at the very least severe dysbiosis confined to the colon or SIBO throughout all 30 feet of your GI tract. If that's true, you've got several choices. Sadly, if you go to the conventional gastroenterologist, he says, Wendy, there's nothing wrong with you. Or 
uh, did you consult Dr. Google again? Or I did your colonoscopy. I didn't see anything. Well, you don't see anything with, with SIBO. And so if that gastroenterologist is reasonably well-informed, he or she will hand you a prescription for Zyfaxin, the antibiotic, which is effective about 50 to 60% of the time. It's very expensive. And it, it's plagued by recurrences. You have recurrences on you over and over, more antibiotics, more antibiotics, more antibiotics. And it gets you, takes you further and further down and disrupted microbiome. So the conventional answer is not very good. There are some herbal antibiotic uh, regimens. Only two have been validated in clinical trials. The candibactin regimen and the FC-cidal and dysbiocide go together. But I've gotten away from that. I started asking different questions, Wendy. I asked this question, these questions. If you if you have SIBO, 30 feet of microbes, right? And you take a commercial probiotic right off the shelf, will the SIBO go away? No, <laughs> highly unlikely. You might reduce bloating and diarrhea a little bit, but you still got all 30 feet populated by these microbes. So what if we chose microbes that are known to colonize the upper GI tract, the small intestine. That's where SIBO occurs. That's where the battle's being fought. And what if we choose microbes that produce what are called bactericins? These are natural antibiotics, very effective, but they're produced by microbes that are effective against the fecal species like E. coli and Campylobacter and Salmonella. Uh, so I chose three. I chose a strain of Lactobacillus gasseri, the BNR17 strain, Colonized upper GI tract produces up to seven bactericins. The uh, 6475 strain of Lactobacillus ruteri, upper GI colonizer, up to four bactericins. And I added Bacillus coagulans. It does produce one more bactericin. And by the way, makes the most delicious yogurt you ever had. So I threw it in to make this, those other to make very sour yogurt. This makes it a little smoother, a little sweeter, more, more whipped cream-like. Now we go even further. We ferment them. So microbes don't have sexual reproduction, right? There's no male and female microbes. They have asexual reproduction. One microbe recreates itself and becomes two. Two becomes four, like that. So we ferment it for 12 doublings, 36 hours, when we perform something called flow cytometry. It's a way of counting microbes with a laser. We get 300 billion, billion with a B, microbes per half cup serving. So, so we increase microbial counts by about a thousand fold. And then we consume half cup a day for about four weeks. And so far, now this is anecdote, but about 40 people in our group have normalized hydrogen gas on the breath after four weeks of the yogurt. So I, we call this SIBO yogurt. But Wendy, I kind of regret calling it SIBO yogurt because it suggests it's only useful for eradicating SIBO, but it's really useful also for long-term prevention of recurrence. Because especially the gasseri and the ruteri are also keystone species. That is very important foundational species that most of us have lost. So restoring it helps prevent a reproliferation of fecal microbes. So this has performed far beyond expectations. Now that's an anecdote in a large group. We will perform a formal clinical trial to validate this, but so far, you know, if I said, Wendy, the solution is to remove 20 feet of your small bowel, you would say, oh, what, come on. You better have damn good proof then, right? <laughs> but what if I said the potential solution is something akin to yogurt? That's actually good for you anyway, even if you don't have SIBO. Well, I think the, 
the hurdle, the threshold to doing this is so low that even if somebody said, you know, I, I have, I've been told I have a little fatty liver or I have a little bit of bloating and diarrhea. I'm not sure it's SIBO, but I'll try the SIBO yogurt anyway. The only hassle is you have to source the microbes and then you have to know how to ferment them, which is very easy. Uh, and that's a whole other story, but it's very easy to do these things, prolonged fermentation. Uh, and you get all these other benefits out of those microbes. It doesn't end at eradicating SIBO. There's a whole long list of spectacular benefits of fermenting those mice microbes. Yeah, and are, is this something you can buy on your website, or where do we get the the yogurt? You know, fermentation like the, the microbes. <laughs> so the hassle, to be honest, Wendy, it's a little bit of a hassle. So right now, there's no central source like the lactobacillus gastroide BNR. And by the way, the reason I tell everybody these strains with these crazy names like BNR17 or ATCC6475, is when we play with microbes, we often have to pay attention to the strain. So a good example, E. coli. We've all got E. coli in our guts, right? But what if you ate lettuce contaminated by cow manure and E. coli from the cow manure? You can die of that E. coli. Same, same species, E. coli, different strain. So strain can make a very, very important difference. So uh, not always, but many times it does. So if I say lactobacillus gastroide BNR17, there's a specific source for that. It's in the super gut book. It's in my drdavesinfinitehealth.com. But we get it from the Mercola market. See, I, I get my microbes from manufacturers. They send me samples. But if, if you call the manufacturer, they say, well, we're happy to sell it to you. 3,000 kilograms. It's going to cost you $200,000. Well, no one's going to do that. So we wait for a large retailer to buy that large minimum and then repackage it for consumers. So that's what we have to wait for. So that's why it's so tough to find these things. So there's a specific source of the BNR17. There's a specific source of the lactobacillus reuteri. So you have to place three different orders. But the great thing about this is once you have it, you can make the next batch of yogurt from a little bit of the prior batch. So you spend the money to buy the microbes one time, but you don't have to buy it again. Or even better, you do it with a friend or neighbor. This is what I did. I would give it to people. I'd give some of it to people. It'd be good for making a few subsequent batches. Okay, great. And so do you have any like instructions on your website about like what strength to get and uh, just how to make the yogurt, anything like that? Yeah. It, so as you imagine, it's kind of hard to convey in a in a podcast, but it boils down to this, getting the microbes. The easiest vehicle is some dairy. I like to use organic half and half because I, I do reject this whole idiocy about cutting your fat and saturated fat. That is nonsense. That should have been discarded 50 years ago. It, it persists, though, because of the nonsense around lowering cholesterol and statin cholesterol drugs that makes tons of money for the pharmaceutical industry, even though it has nothing to do with cardiovascular health. So I start with organic half and half. It doesn't have to be dairy. It could be coconut milk, could be hummus, could be salsa, could be fruit purees. I will tell you that dairy is very forgiving, though. You do need some device to keep it fermenting at about human body temperature. So around 98, 102, essentially 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, yogurt, some yogurt makers like, like that. Some instant pots will allow you to do this. Uh, I use sous vides, either basin or stick slow meat cookers. They're, they're not expensive. You can get a stick sous vide for about $89. And there's some other methods also, but the key is you just want to have some method of keeping it at about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I add some prebiotic fiber to the mixture, like inulin or raw potato starch. It's kind of like adding cow manure to your tomato uh, a garden. It, it add some cow manure. You don't get manure in your tomatoes. 
but you get bigger, juicier tomatoes and more of them. Same thing here. We're going to feed those microbes because what we're trying to do is get these super duper high bacterial counts so you can overpower the unhealthy fecal microbes that have taken over. And so far, truly, I did not expect this to work. I thought it was going to work in a minority of people. To my great surprise, so far, anecdotally, it's working in the majority of people. And it's just something akin to yogurt. Okay, fantastic. And what about the L. rotari yogurt? So that's one of the components of the SIBO yogurt, the lactobacillus rotari. Uh, but a lot of people just want, they don't have SIBO, or maybe they did the SIBO thing and just want to get the rotari long term. So your listeners will want to know what's the advantage of rotari. Well, first of all, we've all lost it because it's very susceptible to common antibiotics. So if you took, let's say, amoxicillin for a urinary tract infection or upper respiratory infection 30 years ago, you've lost your rotari and other important microbes. When you restore it, wonderful things happen. One of the things that happens is it's, well, it takes up residence upper GI tract, right? It helps prevent SIBO. But beyond that, it also sends a signal to your brain through the vagus nerve to release the hormone oxytocin. And so you're going to find yourself liking people better. You'll say, I like my partner better. I had a woman once, she said to me, you know, my husband says to me, he, they're both eating the yogurt. She says, he's not a very demonstrative guy. But one day he says, hey, honey, you know what? I've always liked you. I like you more now. Come over here, sit next to me. I mean, it's, it's bringing out the best in people. It makes them more generous. It makes them more able to accept the opinions of others, Lenny. It makes you more able to accept the opinions of others, even if you disagree. Isn't that cool? And then there's all these other effects, physiological effects, like a restoration of youthful strength and muscle, increase in libido, increase in testosterone in males, increase in vaginal moisture in elderly females. So ladies in their late 60s and 70s have a lot of problems with that. This can restore that. There is a preservation of bone density. There's an increase in the immune uh, system response. In other words, oh, and ladies love because they start to lose their wrinkles within a few weeks and they get increased moisture. Ladies will say things like, I don't need moisturizers anymore, face or hands, because I'm so moist, like I'm a, like a kid again. So smoother skin, greater muscle and strength, bone density, libido. Wendy, I think we're turning the clock back 10 or 20 years and you'll see it. It's, it's easier to see on ladies' faces. I think guys just don't pay any attention to their, their complexion. But the you'll see it in the ladies, where I've seen it now over and over and over. There's a dramatic improvement in complexion. Now, this is more than, than about skin, but the ladies love the skin part. And that's just an incredible. And it just goes to show you how important our microbiome is in, in our health. It can have such profound effects just by repopulating with a, a handful of, of of these microbes that have been lost. That's just one microbe, Wendy. There are other microbes you can use for other purposes. You know, I have a, a professional tennis player daughter and she gets beaten to heck playing in these 95 degree days, you know, for three hours. You know, the ladies look like they, they, they play hard like guys now. And they're sore as heck. And if you were to measure muscle breakdown during an effort like that, you'll see that the blood is filled with muscle proteins from muscle breakdown. Well, there's a microbe, Bacillus coagulans. It's one of the three in the SIBO yogurt, once again. This one reduces muscle breakdown dramatically so that you recover faster. Or you could get Bifidobacter infantis into a newborn. 
And when that microbe is given to a newborn, it comes to dominate their GI microbiomes as it's supposed to be. And it helps the child sleep through the night, reduces number of bowel movements by 50%, thereby 50% fewer diaper changes. The baby has improved neurological maturation. And as an older child, less asthma, less autoimmune disease, less type 1 diabetes, less type 2 diabetes, less likely to become obese and has a higher IQ. Yeah, I gave that to my daughter. I gave that to my daughter when she was a child. I'm so glad I did. I took her to uh, an immunologist and uh, the the doctor said he'd never seen someone with no allergies before because, yeah, he's like, I've never seen this before. (laughs) That's terrific. yeah, that's just, uh, I don't know. I just, I got the idea uh, to do that and uh, just uh, really has paid a lot of dividends. Lifelong, Wendy, right? Lifelong. It's not just for a better birth or better uh, toddler years. It's a better lifetime. And she's never had an infection. She's never had to take antibiotics. I think she's ever had an ear infection. She doesn't get sick very often. I mean, it's just been uh, just really a boon you know, to, uh, to, to do that. And so let's talk about your book, super gut. And so you, so you had the runaway, runaway success with your book, wheat belly. And I, I just love that you're talking about, uh, the gut and the gut microbiome, because it's so important for people to be paying attention to this. Cause it's one of the, just addressing the gut can solve so many other health issues that people just, the doctors and people looking for solutions just aren't making the connections. It's a revolution. I tell people, I liken this to 1982, and you're, you're too young to remember this, but I just gave you a Commodore 64 computer loaded with Pong. And you say, what, where the heck is this going? Of course, we now know it leads to all kinds of things in technology. That's kind of where we are with the microbiome. We're at the start. We're at the start of a revolution where it's we're not that far away. If you say, I have gout, thereby high uric acid. We don't say take allopurinol and colchicine. We say, let's make sure you have these microbes in your GI tract. If you say I'm overweight and type two diabetic, we don't say here's metformin and insulin and bieta injections and farsiga. We say, let's get these microbes restored. The microbial solutions, and, and, and there's many broad things you can do also like fermented foods are the unsung heroes of the microbiome. Things like uh, kombucha, kimchi, sauerkraut, veggies you ferment on your kitchen counter. It should be almost no cost. Those are very powerful ways to bring back order into your gastrointestinal microbiome. And so people need to know that they have at their hands access to extraordinarily powerful strategies with just a little bit of knowledge and insight. And so what are your your thoughts on people saying that maybe kombucha is bad because it has like wild yeast in it or the espularity seems like it's something that we need to be taking, but there are some people out there that claim that kombucha is problematic. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the criticisms of kombucha are typically too much sugar, but by FDA regulations, the manufacturer has to report how much sugar was in it at time of bottling. So you let it ferment further. What I do, if I if I do if I don't make kombucha myself and just buy a commercial like GTS or something, leave it on your kitchen counter for a couple of days, like 48 hours. Let it ferment the sugar out, and it should not be very sweet at all. So the microbes consume the sugar. It won't reflect that in the label, though, because they have to report how much was present at time of bottling, not at time of consumption. There's that. 
And then the typical microbes, Saccharomyces boulardii, occasionally Saccharomyces cerevisiae, sometimes Cluvromyces species, those are my, those are species that are adapted to the human body and are among the most beneficial of all microbes you can get. So if I, if I let's say I had to take an antibiotic because I have a terrible infection, well, it's going to screw up my microbiome hugely. Well, the most powerful thing you can do to preserve the integrity of your microbiome is get Saccharomyces boulardii. It's not quite clear exactly how that works. And we, by the way, make a Saccharomyces boulardii sparkling juice. It's real easy. You get a capsule of the commercial probiotic in the U.S. is called Flora Store, Flora, F-L-O-R-A, S-T-O-R. Other names in different parts of the world, but Flora Store, one capsule, empty it into any volume of juice. Just make sure the juice has no preservatives like potassium sorbate or sodium benzoate cap. Agitate lightly, loosen the cap, let it sit on your kitchen counter for about 48 hours. And at 24 hours, you're going to see it bubbling like mad, producing carbon dioxide. So you want to make sure that cap is loose, because if you don't, it will literally explode. And at 48 hours, especially in a warm climate like yours, refrigerate it, cap loose, uh, just to stop the fermentation, and then drink a quarter cup several times a day if you have to take an antibiotic or just or just drink for fun it's delicious i have some mango passion fruit fermenting right now it's delicious if you do like apple cider it tastes like apple soda and it's one of the most important powerful things you can do so people confuse the world of fungi because they think fungi they think mold and mushrooms they're fun fungi also but just like bacteria there are really bad bacteria like flesh-eating Staphylococcus, <laughs> then there's really good microbes, Lactobacillus roteri. So to say all bacteria are bad, of course, is, is absurd. Same thing here. You can't say all fungi are bad or all fungi are good. There's all different kinds. Like, not all humans are good, right? There's some really rotten human beings. There's some really good human beings. And so tell us about like what we're going to learn in your book, Super Gut. So I lay the stage for how to recognize what's going on in your microbiome. Why? Uh, being aware of all the things that disrupt the microbiome. Because if you're going to set your microbiome right, you've got to remove all the factors disrupting it, like chlorinated drinking water, like the emulsifying agent in your ice cream. So being aware of all this, it's not that tough once you become aware of all these things. And a lot of it involves a return just to whole foods, uh, that is foods that are not tainted by food manufacturers with additives uh, or herbicides and pesticides, those kinds of things. Also, I show you how to... so. I, I, I compare the human microbiome to a garden, a backyard garden. So let's say it's springtime in a northern climate. How are you going to have a springtime garden? You, let's, you're going to prepare, let's say, a 10 by 10 plot. You pick out the weeds and sticks and, and uh, rocks. You plant seeds. Then you water and fertilize it. A couple months later, you've got tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchini. The gastrointestinal microbiome is almost the same. We're going to prepare the soil. That is, remove the factors that disrupt it, chlorinated drinking water, glyphosate, emulsifying agents, processed foods. We're going to plant seeds. The most important seeds are fermented foods, not probiotics. Probiotics are somewhat helpful. And that's because the current crop of commercial probiotics were made in very haphazard ways. They're not intelligent. They're not smart. The, the probiotic of the future, not yet, but the future, near future, will incorporate principles like collaboration. That is, microbes 
combine because they collaborate with each other and may even have greater chance of taking up long-term residence. Current probiotics, I take it, it takes up residence for a few days, maybe a few weeks, then you, it's gone. Uh, a real effective probiotic you would take once and it populates your gastrointestinal tract for a lifetime, unless you're exposed to antibiotics. That has not happened yet. So right now, current concept of probiotic is only somewhat helpful. Fermented foods, the primary way to rebuild the microbiome. And then the water and fertilizer for your garden is just prebiotic fibers and related things, polysaccharides, things that microbes need. In other words, if you canned, if you caged a dog or a lion or other animal and didn't feed it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die, right? Within a few days, maybe a week or so. What if you don't feed your microbes? They die also. But there's a peculiar twist when it comes to the gastrointestinal microbiome. Many species, when you don't feed them, prebiotic fibers and, and related things, many species die or at least reduce the numbers. But then there's this odd phenomenon. There are species that are able to exist on human mucus, so-called mucin degraders, such as acromancia. Acromancia's full name is acromancia mucinophila, mucus lover. So if you fail to get fibers, for instance, acromancia normally is wonderful for you, about three to 4% of all microbes in your GI tract. You deprive all those microbes of the fibers, acromancia starts to proliferate because it starts to eat intestinal mucus. And it comes to comprise 15%, 18%, 24%, up to 40% of the entire gastrointestinal microbiome. And it's eating the intestinal lining of your colon and small bowel. And that has all kinds of nasty implications in the intestines and outside the intestines too, because of endotoxemia. So people who fail to feed their microbiome experience higher blood sugar, weight gain, emotional, psychological effects, sleep disruption, skin rashes, fatty liver, <laughs> all the familiar things we know. And so it is very important. And so think of it so you can get your arms around it. Backyard springtime garden. We're going to prepare the soil. We're going to plant seeds. We're going to water and fertilize it. Fantastic. And so is your book super good? Is it out yet? Yes, it is. It lays the whole thing out. Now, people get kind of uh, bogged down in making the yogurt. So I tell people, don't let this get, make this tougher. It's really very, very simple. Uh, you just have to get a device that maintains human body temperature, and it should not be expensive. You'll need some liquid. Take your choice. I like organic half and half. It doesn't have to be organic half and half. It helps, but it's not required that you have a prebiotic fiber. Inulin powder, acacia fiber, uh, raw potato starch. These are inexpensive things. And then we choose the microbe, Wendy, for the effect we want. If we want smoother skin and a restoration of strength and libido, let's ferment lactobacillus reuteri. If you want a smaller waist, let's ferment lactobacillus gasseri. If you want faster recovery, like I mentioned earlier, let's ferment bacillus coagulants. In other words, you can pick and choose the microbe for the effect you want. But it means having to source it for sometimes from, from some unusual source. And I list those, by the way, in the Super Gut book, where you buy your microbes. All right, fantastic. So everyone go out and get Super Gut and start restoring your microbiome. Because I think it's also 
one of those things that you need to do before you start detoxification, before you start, you know, because uh, you, you have to have your, your gut working, you need to be pooping, you want all of that uh, like stress of the endotoxins created by your gut, you want that stress off the liver, um, and so your liver's working optimally doing the detox it's supposed to be doing, not dealing with all the microbes in your gut and all their, the poop that they're producing. Um, so it's really important to be fixing your gut, no matter what you're trying to do uh, with your health. So really important uh, to, to learn how to do this properly. And so your book is the, the perfect place to do that. Thank you, Wendy. Yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, uh, Dr. Davis. And, and everyone, if you haven't checked out Wheat Belly, that's an amazing book as well. So again, thanks for coming on the show. And everyone, uh, I'm Dr. Wendy Myers, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast, another of the Myers Detox podcast, where I bring you experts from around the world to help you upgrade your health and give you those little pieces of the puzzle that can help you know give you that solution that you're looking for because you deserve to feel good. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.